Hi, this is Steve. You know, there have been a few moments in the vast history of human civilization when enemies have put aside their differences in the service of a greater good. Nixon in China, Sadat and Begin at the Camp David Accords. But perhaps no example in modern times is so striking as John, the outlaw Roca, sitting down to discuss Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan with his longtime rival, Access Hollywood's Scott Mance. If you've watched their epic battles on the Schmodown, you know that only something as powerful as the love of Star Trek could bring these two together. Scott and John both grew up on the show, and Scott has become a well-known expert in all things Trek. And, of course, there simply is no better Star Trek movie than the 1982 classic Wrath of Khan. Khan is available for streaming on Showtime, rental on iTunes, and there are several good Blu-rays, including a very nicely presented director's cut. So, Scott Mance, John the Outlaw Roca, and Wrath of Khan this Friday on The Cinephiles. Seriously, you're not going to want to miss it. I shall leave you as you left me, as you left her, marooned for all eternity in the center of a dead Buried alive. Buried alive. Come! Come! Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, host of numerous shows in L.A., and occasionally an actor. And today, <laughs> this, is, this is one of the most anticipated episodes ever in the history of the cinephiles, and I'm so excited that we finally get a chance to sit down with our guest. Yes, and our guest, uh, no further ado, let me introduce from Access Hollywood, Scott Mance. Scott, welcome to the cinephiles. Guys, thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be here to talk about the one thing that I love talking about more than anything. Really? And that is you, Roka. What? No! <laughs> you! I mean, after all this time, yes. for us to be in the same room. I can't believe we've come to a truce. A truce. Yeah. A temporary truce, temporary my truce. friend. For the next hour or so, you and I are going to put aside our differences. Our differences. Talk about something that we both love, Absolutely. and that is Star Trek. Star Trek Two. Star Trek Two. The Wrath of Khan. The Wrath of Khan, yeah. which is, as we all know, widely hailed as the greatest Star Trek movie of them all. Absolutely. The Citizen Kane of Star <laughs> Trek movies. I 100% agree, and I just want to say, gentlemen, that I want to thank you for yes. coming together, for putting aside whatever history or differences or bad blood you have. Yeah. And but this, this is how much we love Star Trek. That's right. That's right. That we, are, we, are, we are stepping aside. We, yeah. are, we are putting our differences aside, it is it is basically like remember in 1975 when uh, the Apollo uh, Soyuz mission happened and the the Americans and the Soviets met in space and they shook hands and everything was great for like five minutes. And then that's what this is. That is what this is. <laughs> what a connection. So, <laughs> what a connection. so in, in, a, in an hour, hour and a half, we'll be back to the Cold War. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. That's right. Yeah. I liken it to Kirk in six in Star Trek six when Spock is trying to convince him to help the Klingons. He says they'll die. He goes, let, let them die. Well, I, I, I certainly hope that nobody's going to die under this circumstance. I don't know. Um, well, I can have it. It seems to be a lot of passion in the room. 
and I and I think most of that passion comes from Star Trek. Scott, tell Absolutely. me, how did you first come to Star Trek? What is the origin of your love? My, my the origin of my love for Star Trek goes way back to 1974. Yeah. I was a six year old kid growing up in Northeast Philadelphia, and I'll never forget the moment we were playing in the cul de sac. We were playing wiffle ball, me and my friends. Wow. And this guy, Mitchell Paul, who I'm still friends with, we're, we're buddies on Facebook, he realized it's 7 o'clock, drops the bat, runs inside, and we're all looking around going, like, where the heck is he going? So I go in to his basement door, and he's already sitting in front of the TV, and the first image, the first image that was in my head was the landing party beaming up to the Enterprise, which consisted of Kirk, Uhura, McCoy, and Scotty. What's the episode? Just based on that landing party. Kirk, Uhura, McCoy, and Scotty. Oof, I can't say. Um, hmm, that's wow. a good one. Yeah. Okay, the answer, my friends, is Mirror, Mirror. Oh, oh of course it is. Oh, yeah. Of course it so is. So they nice. beam up to the Enterprise and the lightning is going on. Yeah. And you see the Enterprise flying across the screen from left to right. Then there's the flash of light and it's flying from right to left. Yeah. And this episode... There was so much going on in this episode. It is, it flies by. There's uh, the first two acts. Wait, Mirror Mirror is your first Star Trek episode? Mirror Mirror is my first Star Trek wow. episode. It is the one that got me into Star Trek. But as you know, it is not a typical episode no. of Star yeah. Trek. You, yeah. you went in when they when the characters were all changed. Yeah. Wow. You're, yeah. You're, you're, you're spending 90% of your time in the mirror universe with Spock with the goatee. Yeah. Love, and, love uh, goatee Spock. It, it's, you only see the, uh, the prime universe for a little bit, you know, yeah. when, when the evil crew is in the brig, right. you know, what is it? We'll buy you Spock power. Fascinating <laughs> power Spock. I could get that for you. <laughs> That's full Shatner, by the way, but, but, the, yeah. but the, what, what got me in addition to that episode. Now, Channel 17 in Philadelphia was rare in a couple of instances. On one hand, they showed the complete episodes. They were not stripped for syndication like oh, wow. they were in other areas of the country. That's great. Like New York City on WPIX Channel 11, they showed 44 or 45 minutes of a 50-minute episode. Wow. In Philadelphia, they showed the entire oh, episode. Cool. That's great. And they showed it in production order, not in the order that it aired. Oh, really? Oh, wow. So... So you don't start with man trap. You no, start with yeah. You start with where no man has right. gone before. Yeah. Then go into Corbomite maneuver. Then go into Mud's women. Right. Yeah. Uh, then mirror mirror. I love. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, the enemy within. But because they were showing it in production order, they were showing the beginning of the second season. Now I always felt, and I still feel, yeah. that the beginning of the second season is really when the original series was at its best. Mm -hmm. You know, first season was great, but the beginning of the second season, you had Mirror Mirror, a mock time, Who Mourns for Otter Nice, Metamorphosis, a yeah. personal favorite, the Doomsday Machine, the Trouble with Tribbles, the Changeling, boom, 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 every single night at seven o'clock. Yeah. And as a six-year-old kid, like Kirk was my hero. Mm -hmm. Kirk of course. was my hero. He he always said and did the right thing. Yeah. He was a man of action. And 
he was a man of action. <laughs> he sure was. He sure as hell yeah. was. What's not to love? Right. Yeah. That's why I still want to be Captain Kirk. <laughs> Who doesn't? Right. So, John, so how about you? Uh, yeah. Almost similar to that, except in Virginia, growing up as a small, growing up small child, because like, I'm Latino. I'm growing up in a prominently Latino neighborhood at the time in Falls Church. So for me, TV was my escape. My parents purposely put sat me in front of a television to learn English because they're from Bolivia. They didn't want me to speak with an accent. They had seen the racism that existed around the country or around our area of people who spoke with an accent. So my parents were determined that I would not speak with any kind of Latino accent. So they would plant me in front of televisions and I would just watch while they worked. And they had a lady taking care of me who was a, a, a 70 year old lady. And so one of the things that I discovered in the afternoon or watching at night was Star Trek. I could watch Star Trek. And the first one I saw was the one with Captain Pike where he's debilitated he's debil- oh, yeah. and, oh, and, and the, the beeps. Yeah, Menagerie with the dudes with the heads and the veins. Right, like sure. All of that for a young kid like me to see this level of adult stuff in Star Trek was so engrossing to me. And from that point forward, I became a massive fan of Star Trek. And just like Scott... An incredible fan of Captain Kirk. I love Shatner to death. One of my greatest life highlights. I can go to my grave having asked Shatner a question at Comic-Con and having him answer it in such a fantastic way. And I got to tell him how he reminded me of my father because he very much has the same kind. My dad had the same kind of energy as Kirk. And I think that's what I kind of gravitated to Star Trek more as I was a child because my dad was always working. And he was so he was almost never home until later on at night. So in a way, me watching Kirk was me connecting with my father, spending time. Because my dad could be very much like an old school, like Kirk, you know? He's like, Man, you do this. You don't have any questions. Just do it. You know, there was, <laughs> he like, spoke in absolute. He said sometimes. He but, really but did. But with a Bolivian but accent. With a, well, yes, when he spoke English, but then in Spanish, you know, it was like, you no entiendo por qué haces esto. You know, he would just do these oh. kinds of things. And so for me, wow. it was always so I've I never loved to, your dad so much I mean, as I do right now. He was so great. He was so, and so when I got to ask Shadow that question at Comic-Con a couple years ago, it was everything to me, everything to me to have him hear that and say thank you because he had passed from cancer. I got to tell him that. And Shatner was so warm in a room full of 2,500 people. He was so warm. And I've worshipped him since. And I know his personal stuff, whatever. But for me, I watched T.J. Hooker. I watched sure. everything that he was in. And, of course, Boston Legal, which was the greatest thing he did since Star Trek, in Absolutely my opinion. Absolutely agree. Denny Crane. Yeah, that. exactly. Yep, absolutely. So Mad Cow, all that stuff. He was so great. But Star Trek was the thing. And also because it was a multi-racial cast. Right. And for me, that was really new. As a Latino kid, once again, uh, there were no Latinos in Star Trek, but like there were people of different origins, different ethnicities. Right. And so for me, there was a connection there constantly and just the fascination of exploring these social issues, which still remains a very strong part of my personality and my makeup as a human being, focusing on social issues. You know, And, this, and Star Trek did that. Yeah, so for me, it's, yeah. it's, it's the same. You know, same era. It's night. I don't. I don't know what my first Star Trek episode was. It probably was 1974 or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was coming home from school. I was in in the Bay Area, so yeah. it was on Channel Two or Channel Twenty. And it was. And I remember as a kid, it was like, oh, right now Star Trek's on at five o'clock in the afternoon. Right. Oh, now it's on six on this channel. Oh, it's on ten o'clock at night. <laughs> Wherever it was, I was going to watch it. And I, you know, we talked about formative things on this show before. For yeah. me, comic books were obviously a really formative thing. The first time I saw. Enter the Dragon that created this lifelong love of martial arts 
Star Trek might be the most formative thing in my life. Uh-huh. It really might be. Uh, I've been rewatching all the episodes. There's a wonderful podcast called Mission Log, and they're going through every single episode of Star Trek, including the animated series. So now I'm in the middle of Next Generation. People don't love the animated series enough. I do. I, that's a good series. It's some I, of those episodes. I love it enough, too. Well, the, 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 the animated series, yeah. some of those episodes would have made damn fine live action shows yeah. like yesteryear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That would have been a great episode. They're no, on no absolutely. Yeah. Uh, for me, the the moral core of the show and the ideas of the of the show yeah. are just created what the way I look at the world. Like one of the big things I love about Star Trek is they don't really have evil. You know, evil is a con a concept that you see in Lord of the Rings or you see in Star Wars is this, this is bad. These are the bad people. This is the dark side. And Star Trek is always evil is this thing that means you don't understand the other side. Now it doesn't mean there aren't adversaries. It doesn't mean there aren't people doing bad things, but they're always doing bad things for a reason. There's always a motivation behind it. And the other, you know, big idea of, learning of the idea of we might disagree but we can go work together to accomplish a goal and learn a thing Mm -hmm. these are things having done you know i was out on a boat in mexico doing a great white shark documentary and trying to articulate why there are guys in the water riding on the backs of great white sharks and the phrase that kept going in through my head is risk is our business the starship is all about that's what this and it's like this is as like those words they go with me my whole life and as we look at the politics in our world today and the issues that we're facing mm-hmm. in the world today the sh- star trek morality is still a guide for me absolutely the morality that you're describing yeah. is one of the most endearing aspects of star trek beyond the characters themselves mm-hmm. and a large reason for that was because you know in the late 60s when we had Vietnam, civil rights, right. the counterculture, the Cold War, and Feminine, here's the of feminism this show. Yeah. Right, okay. Here's a show in 1966 that had the balls to put a an Asian, mm-hmm. a Russian, uh, a, a black woman, yeah. uh, a Scottish guy, and an alien, like a real alien, yeah. all together. And their, their backgrounds made no difference. It didn't matter. But they were all there. The diversity was was represented, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. But also the the moralities that you're talking about that we don't understand it. So when you have episodes like The Devil in the Dark, right. where mm-hmm. they don't understand what the horde is. It's a monster killing its people. We gotta kill it. Right. But then when they realize it is a mother protecting its young, and they go, Whoa, we were wrong. Yep. Right. Or metamorphosis. The companion is holding us here. We gotta get off the planet so we can get Commissioner Heifer to the Enterprise. We gotta kill it. Wait a minute. The co- the companion is a woman in love with Zephyr Cochran. Right. Oh, we were wrong. That even in the twenty third century, in the twenty fourth century, yeah. we are not perfect, but we're always striving for that perfection. Right. Yeah. Learning what it means to be human. And that is what makes Star Trek different from other space operas like mm-hmm. Star Wars or Battlestar Galactica or Doctor Who. Yeah. I mean... And it's no disrespect to those shows or what no, they no, are. No, none at all. Yeah. It's just different. Yeah. 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 So, uh, let's to get to Wrath of Khan, yeah. and you know we got a long journey to go through, yeah. we have to start off with this idea that this is the first 
television series that had a fan following that was so powerful that it brought back Star Trek The Motion Picture. And we have to talk a little bit about Star Trek The Motion Picture before we get to Wrath of Khan. So uh, that comes out, it's 79? 79. December 7th. December 7th. I knew, I knew that you would have the date. Yes, mister. <laughs> Scott Vance, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I remember I was in line with my family at the Cinema One in Larkspur to go see it opening night. Mm. And when I was a kid, I loved it. I did too. I do not love it now. I still love it. I still love it. I yeah. love it more. Actually. I, do, I, I, I even love the extended director's cut. I don't you. care. It, to me, it's yeah. an extended Star Trek episode, and I love it to pieces. Okay, but why don't you love it? Yeah. Um, or why did you love it then, but you don't love it now? Well, I loved it then because I was 11. <laughs> and because it was Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, I loved all Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying I hate it, um, but it is vast and special. Very impressed with its own special effects. I don't think they have the characters quite right, particularly Kirk, who's kind of an asshole mm. throughout the movie. That's a big problem in terms of who, you know, because I love Kirk too. Yeah. And also it it drifts in terms of its plot points. It doesn't hit them. Plus, we're in sort of a real retread of areas that we've handled pretty well with Nomad and Doomsday Machine and all mm. those things yeah. it, it, in the original series. And it's sort of like, i kind of been here before. Yeah. Um, and so... Did I love it when it came out? Yeah. Did I watch it on Showtime over and over and over again? Yeah. Is it Star Trek? Yes, it is. Is it what all of the Star Trek fans wanted? No. 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 Well, I would say for me, the reason I still love it, Steve, is because at its heart, it's this love story between the Stephen Collins character and the alien... Ilea. The Ilea, yeah. right? Which is what... It, which is what it, and it's interesting to me because that's the first episode I watched of the Star Trek series is this love between Captain Pike and the girl on the mm. planet. And so for me, Venus. Star Trek has always been about love. And so the, oh. the, the connection I have with the, with, the, with the original movie, the motion picture, is because to me, it's a love story. And so... Since that's, that was my entryway into the Star Trek series itself originally, the movie works for me in that way still. And you have Kirk doing his thing, Spock doing his thing, and those weird, it's almost 2001-ish. Or, um, yeah, 2001-ish. You're right. Yeah, sure. They're having these like interesting diangular things and where they're at. And the whole V'ger thing is like so easily figured out. But it's still this confrontation of, once again, it's what you said, Scott. We think this thing is evil. We need to destroy it. Oh, we were wrong. It's something else, right. you know. It's All right, here's the thing. Okay, Steve, you t- you hit on something that that is what I love about the film. First of all, when I saw the movie on the day it came out, my dad took me to see it. I was 11. When's your birthday? Uh, October 14th. Okay, November 21st, 1968. Wow, we are absolutely <laughs> yeah, right there together, brother. All right, so so here's the thing. Like like as a kid, yeah, I loved Star Wars. Mm. Uh, I loved Alien, um, sure. the first Superman movie. All those movies oh, yeah. were were like the beginning of this uh, like seven or eight year revolution in film yeah. uh, that Spielberg and Lucas and like Zemeckis were doing, but. You know, the motion picture for me, what I loved about it initially in 79 was seeing the Enterprise on the big screen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay? Me too. Yeah. The special effects are unique. Uh, it was a very hard movie to make. Douglas Trumbull was called in at the last minute. Douglas Trumbull, who did the effects on uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey mm, and so Close therefore, Encounters. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so he had to rush. And, and it did work. You know, it, it in, in the end, it worked. But it was not pleasant for him. But – my love for motion picture changed over the years, and once I started reviewing movies in uh, 98 and then went back and watched uh, motion picture again, I realized 
that motion picture is actually a really good film because the characters are not the characters that we love from the original series. And what I say about that is basically motion picture is supposed to take place two and a half years after the end of the original Mm -hmm. series. So, so Kirk pulls a dick move to get the enterprise back. Spock has his own motive to be back on the Enterprise. McCoy just doesn't want to be there because he was happy doing his practice back on Earth. (laughs) So now these characters who have been working together for five years, who had this amazing chemistry in the original series, they have to learn how to work together again. again. Yes, They have to rediscover who they are to each other and who they are to themselves. Like, remember, you know, when, when Admiral Kirk is on the Enterprise... Like, he doesn't know where Turbo Shaft 8 is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's his ship, and he pulled that dick move to get it from Decker. So, yeah, he is an unlikable character. Yeah. But chronologically, in terms of the story and the evolution of those characters, it did make sense. Right. But it's but it and to this day, it, it, I see it as a Star Trek's answer to 2001, yep. not Star Trek's answer right. to Star Wars. Yeah. Well, and I think I think what it is is it's a t- part of it is the difference between being a, t- a TV series and a movie. Because in a TV series, I'm going to forgive the episodes that aren't A+. Right. Because you can't deliver all these A-plus episodes. In a movie, the status, the standards go higher. Because we're, we're going to wait a long time. You're going to spend a lot of money. And so is Star Trek, the motion, pi- motion picture, as bad as many of the bad Star Trek episodes? No, it's no. pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It hits kind of in the middle for me. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it worthy of a Star Trek movie? It's it's fine, you mm-hmm. know, um, and and the interesting thing is they spent a lot of money, forty six mil, yeah. way way over budget, right. and it <laughs> does okay. That's my understanding. Yeah. It doesn't do great. It does just well enough that they say uh, maybe we could do one more, but you're going to get a lot less money. And where the original, well, the original, the first movie was done by the motion picture division at Paramount. The second film was done by the TV mm. division. It was Which basically a television production for the big screen yeah. where the first movie cost about $46 million to make. The second one cost a little over $11 million wow. Dollars wow. to make. So it cost a third less and it was 30 times more exciting. Yes. And this is one of the, you know, we always want to talk to young filmmakers out yeah. there, people who appreciate film. Money is not the answer. Great. Yeah. Sometimes money, money really helps. It's really nice to have. <laughs> yeah. Money does not make your movie good. Creativity and good ideas and great characters and wonderful scripts, that's what makes your movie good. Yeah. If you don't have those things and you have a lot of money, you have a very expensive bad movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so we move into... Uh, preparing for Rathacon, and we got to bring up this guy who I think is really the elephant in the room, and that's Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, well, for starters, Gene created the show, and he was listed as a producer on Star Trek The Motion Picture, which, as you said, went over budget. There were major problems. He was very difficult to work with. He uh, you know, was, was a, a, a thorn in the side of the studio. He was a thorn in the side of the director, Robert Wise. So when it came time to produce the second film, uh, Wrath of Khan, the studio decided to go with Harv Bennett. Mm-hmm. And Gene Roddenberry was listed as a creative consultant, which basically means nothing. Yes. Harv Bennett was basically the Gene Kuhn of the Star Trek movies. The way Gene, Gene Kuhn came into the original series halfway through the first season after Gene Roddenberry stepped down as a day-to-day producer – 
And what Gene Kuhn did with the original series was he took what was something that was already great and he made it better. Mm-hmm. He gave he gave the show more humor, more heart. He he developed the characters further, made them more fully realized, and this is crucial. He further solidified the dynamic between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Yeah, right. So what Gene Kuhn did for the original series is what Harv Bennett did for the Star Trek movies. Yeah. Well, and the thing that I think is so important to talk about is we want to put people up on a pedestal that you are the great man. And that's true of Gene Roddenberry. It's true of George Lucas. It's true of other people. And most of the time, certainly in the film world, but in a lot of other worlds too, this is a collaborative process. Mm -hmm. No one person comes up with all the good ideas and it's not particularly healthy to have a whole bunch of sycophants sitting around you telling you you're great. Prequels. Yeah. But this is this is exactly what I'm saying. Now, now, Wrath of Khan, like like before they got to you know the person we're going to get to in a minute, Gene Roddenberry had written a draft uh, uh, of, of of a Star Trek film where the Enterprise went back in oh, time right. to kill Kennedy to or, or to stop Ken- him from being killed. Yeah. yeah, not to kill Kennedy. And yeah, not that's to a kill. different movie. But yeah, but I mean, it's that's like, mirror, mirror. like and I read I read that and it was a mess. Yeah. Oh, I really? Mean, you read it? It, oh, it wow. was a mess. Like, I mean, uh, you know, you, you know, Kirk had had uh, issues with with JFK, and they're talking on the bridge of the Enterprise. I mean, it was so stupid. <laughs> I mean, it was uh. so stupid. I Thank just didn't God, like the Bay of Pigs. I didn't like the Bay of Pigs. So, 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 so we're moving forward with Harv Bennett. There are several different scripts, and this first of all, this rumor starts to go around. Not rumor. Uh, Nimoy might not want to do it, and if he does, he wants to die. Is that correct? That was how they got Leonard to come back for the second film. Yeah. Was we're going Hart Bennett was already sort of steering the ship at this point and he said, We want to go we want you to go out in a blaze of glory. And he said, Okay. Like like he thought, you know what, if I can go out and this is it. And this is after he almost didn't even come back for Star Trek The Motion Picture Mm -hmm. because he was upset with Paramount over the licensing of his image throughout the 70s as Spock, and he never got a dime for it. So he wasn't going to do the motion picture at all. They were going to recast the character of Spock until Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was at the studio at the time, said to Leonard Nimoy, look, we are doing Star Trek The Motion Picture. We are going to have the character of Spock in this movie. How would you feel if someone else other than you played that character. So they settled. He did, the, he did the first movie. But with the second film, it was, all right, uh, if, you're gonna, if, if it's really going to go down like this, I'm in. And that brings, that brings us to, to another, well, I don't want to say an unsung hero, but I would say a, a genius writer, director, who crafted a brilliant film on an eleven million dollar budget? Yeah, Nicholas yeah. Meyer. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't give him enough credit. I think. Yeah, and particularly for a guy who apparently didn't watch Star Trek, yeah. like for him to come in and un- see, understand one of the key things is this is about people. Mm-hmm. This is about a family. This is about relationships, and all of those spectacular effects that are in the first film isn't really what Star Trek's about. It's not that I have anything against spectacular effects. They're great. But if you don't have that core, then it's not working right. right. Yeah. And they repaired all the stuff that you have talked about here that you felt 
was not correct uh, in the motion picture. Right. The characters are more defined. They're more like we remember them from the TV series. The, the interaction between Kirk and Spock is really the anchor. Once again, a love story. That is a love story. It's a bromance. That's a good it point. it is a love story. No Absolutely. question about Those it. two guys, for me, are, will always supersede any other characters in the history of film for me. You know, not, not to jump too far ahead yeah. to the chronology of the show, but, you know, the scene in the, in the, uh, in, in the quarters where, where uh, Kirk, Spock, McCoy are talking about the Genesis yeah. effect, the banter. Yes. That no. is absolutely that is classic from Star the Trek. original series. Yeah. Right. That is classic Star Trek. I go, yeah. right there. That's Star Trek. Really, Doctor? Yeah. So le- you should learn to govern your... There'll be the death of you. It's such a brilliant Honestly, thing. Logic. My God. The man's talking about logic. We're talking about universal Armageddon. Why, you green-blooded human. <laughs> yes. Well, let's get into the movie, shall yes. we? Yes. Let's do it. So we start off... On the bridge of the Enterprise. Well, well, before we even get to that point, we have to we have to point out that when they when it came time, what are we going to do for the second film? Right, the they story. They went back yeah. and oh, they sure. rewatched all seventy nine crown jewels, as they called them, all the seventy nine episodes of the original series, and there was something about one particular episode <laughs> that stood out to producer Harv Bennett. I mud character. <laughs> That stood out, but for different reasons. Um, Stella, dear, uh, I love that episode. <laughs> um, it was it was Space Seed, yeah. and this character, absolutely one of the top three guest starring actors on a Star Trek episode. Right. Oh yeah, Ricardo Montalban as Khan. Watching that episode, I don't care how many times I watch it. His delivery mm-hmm. in Space Seed is magnetic. Yeah. You could see why those people would follow him into space. Exactly. You could see why Marla MacGyvers would open your heart. Will you, you open, open your, your heart? heart? Yeah. I intend to take this ship. And you're just like, whoa. At the end of the episode, the end of Space Seed, during the trial, the yeah. hearing, where he goes, you know what? I'm not going to take you to a penal colony. We're passing by the city alpha star system. Planet five is, is habitable. Spock, it's a, it's a bit hostile, but sure. So, so Kirk banishes the crew of the Botany Bay to city alpha five. Right. And that's, and this is a show that was produced in 1966. It aired in 67. That line that Kirk says goes, those men on, those men went on to tame a colony can you tame a world? And Khan looks at Kirk and says, have you ever read Milton, Captain? Kirk lost. goes, yes, I understand. It is better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. Yes. That brings us to the wrath of Khan. And I want to say... By one, the way, I got a little chill. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was well introduced. And I, I did too. And for me, <laughs> and it's the perfect thing because... It is the rare actor that could stand toe-to-toe with Shatner on Star Trek's series and almost supersede him, which is why it's such a perfect choice to use him for Khan. Absolutely. And and as a Latino guy, this was another reason to love this series so much, to have a villain like this portrayed by one of our princes, our kings in the Latino acting community like Ricardo Montalban. By any measure, yeah. John, any measure yep. Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, reg- regardless of race. of the grace. Yes. By any measure, just Agreed. absolutely fantastic. Yes. He, he is 
But but so Nicholas Meyer, who had great success uh, as an author of the Seven Seven Percent Solution. Oh yeah, great. And as a as Sherlock a writer Holmes. director yeah. of the movie Time, Time After Time, which is really good. I, I haven't so, watched that in a long time. Still holds up. Still Saw it last year on Encore. Yes, it sure does. Still holds Malcolm up. McDowell, David Warner, Roddy McDowell, Mary Steenburgen, yep. fantastic stuff. But so so that the amazing thing about about Wrath of Khan is is when they were all working on the screenplay that. Nick Meyer, maybe it was just like a, a, an adrenaline rush, or maybe he had a triple mocha from Starbucks. Whatever it was, he was able to rework the screenplay from scratch in 11 days. Wow. Yeah. 11 days. And putting so much into that story, beyond being an action-adventure, it, uh, it is a story about mortality, mm-hmm. about growing old. It is a story... Um, about friendship, about uh, revenge, uh, friendship, about love, father and yeah. son stuff, F- the father right. son stuff. Right, right. Uh, it's it's, it's um the enemy below in space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or run silent. Well, this is one space. of the great choices he makes. Is that he goes, oh, it's it's the navy. You know, yeah. uh, one of the interesting things, like if you watch Star Wars, Star Wars has a uh, Air Force aircraft carrier model. Mm-hmm. We have big ships and we have little fighter planes and everything moves fast. And Star Trek has a naval submarine model. Right. Like that's how the strategy and the way and the pace of things and the way things work. And, mm-hmm. and, and Nicholas Meyer saw that and he added to it. He built that up. Uh, against the uh, sort of, I would say, I don't want to say approval but uh, to to sort of the dismay of yeah. Gene Roddenberry, Nicholas Meyer gave Star Trek II a military feel. Yeah. He gave it a nautical feel. The uniforms were much more military. Mm-hmm. The cinematography, the lighting on the Enterprise is much darker. The musical score by James Horner. I was going to say. Absolutely mm-hmm. military. Like the scene Very where they're so. speeding away from Regula heading towards the Mutar Nebula. Oh, yeah. And they're getting the Enterprise ready for battle. Is one of the best scenes in the film. The way everybody on all the decks, they're like, you know, getting the Enterprise ready. You know, yeah. the photon torpedo tube and everything. Mm-hmm. The music of that film, James Horner, I think it's his best score above Titanic, wow. above Aliens. Wow. So let's get so let's get into the film. Yeah, getting into the film. Okay, so do you guys ever hear of Starlog Magazine? Well, yes, of course. Of course. Sure. Okay, Starlog Magazine was the magazine that I grew up with. Yeah. Before the internet, I got my sci-fi fix from Starlog Magazine. Started in 1976, and you know, in the early 80s, it was. Like every month, I couldn't read that that magazine fast enough. Mm-hmm. And then I remember in 1981 uh, reading uh, rumors that Spock in Star Trek II, The Vengeance of Khan, as it was originally called, mm. rumors are that he's going to die. Yes. And I said I to my dad, this. I said, they're going to kill Spock. He goes, no, they're not. Right. They're not going to kill Spock. Don't worry about it. Well- Okay, so on June 4th, 1982, at 6.30 p.m. at the New Orleans (laughs) Theater in Northeast Philadelphia, this guy was second in line. Wow. That motherfucker who was ahead of me (laughs) kept me from being first. But... So his life didn't go. It all went downhill after but, that. That was his know, peak. This is back in the day when you did not get tickets online. Oh, no. You did not have reserved seats. You, you went stand in line. hours yep. before. Sure, Remember? Yeah. I missed oh, yeah. those days, of man. So so I left school early that day. It was a Friday, and I waited in line. And as the line grew and grew and grew, uh, I was 
one of the younger people in the line. A lot of people were older, but because we're all hanging out, we're all talking about Star Trek, I held my own pretty good with these guys. <laughs> so then the movie starts. Great score, uh, opening uh, credits uh, with the, with James Horner's yeah. new Star Trek score, which I thought was great. Yeah. So so then you have – wait, who's this like Vulcan in the yeah, captain's, in the captain's chair? chair? Yeah. And then there's the, the, the battle, mm. and then there's explosions on the bridge. And then Spock dies. Right. And then Spock opens his eyes. And I went, boy, they had us good, didn't they? They fooled us. They made it look like he was dying and he didn't die. Boy, those clever (laughs) filmmakers, they're not going to kill Spock. That was all just a ploy. It's a brilliant way not only to psych out the audience, but also make the ending unexpected. Yes. You know, is that now, because now you feel safe. You're like, oh, Uh, good. Yeah, exactly. He's not going to die. It's not going to happen. Right. So we have this great sequence. And of course, who is our strange Vulcan in the captain's chair? But it's Kirstie Alley. Kirstie Alley. Who... I love in Star Trek. She's fantastic. Yeah, she's great. And she's I wish great. she'd come back for the third yeah. one. I can't understand why she didn't come back for the third one. She, yeah, well, which was ridiculous. Which ridiculous. is ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous. She was so So we're pretty. saying that Kirstie Alley maybe doesn't always make the best career <laughs> she, choices. All right. But, but you know, the thing well, but, about that scene is uh, after, you know, Savick is in the chair saying, uh, all hands abandoned ship, yeah. all hands abandoned ship. And then you hear, you hear his voice. Yes. Yeah. Activate escape pods. Send out the log boy. All hands abandoned ship. Repeat. All hands abandoned ship. All right. Open her up. Any suggestions, Admiral? Prayer, Mr. Savick. The Klingons don't take prisoners. Lights. Yeah. Lit from behind. You hear. so amazing. And then lights. Boom. There he is, yeah. Admiral James T. Fucking Kirk, baby. <laughs> yes, he's back and he looks great in that yeah. red uniform. Well, and, and this is, you know, this is something we talk about all the time. Yeah. How your characters enter the film is a big deal. Yeah. This is an entrance. Yes. That's an entrance. That's how you make an entrance. That's a heroic entrance. And yet the Kirk that we meet is kind of different than he, the Kirk that we're used to. But he's still crotchety as he was in the first film. He still has that shades of his kind of crotchety nature because so he is caught up in his own kind of like confronting his own midlife crisis. Right, but yeah. that, that's he where it's that coming sense. from. It's yes. coming from this yes. internal place mm-hmm. of this is a guy who's lost. Yep. You know, he doesn't know who he is right, right. now. Right. And he is heading in a, to a very dark place. Yes. I think if if Khan doesn't come back, I'm not saying that Khan coming back is a good thing because he kills a whole bunch of people. Well, it does for this <laughs> but, movie. But in, terms of, <laughs> but in terms of Kirk's life, without mm-hmm. this Khan coming back, I don't think he, he goes where he go, can go. Well, you know, the scene in the quarters uh, where McCoy goes to give him the, uh, the glasses uh, the glasses for yeah. his birthday yeah. and the Romulan ale, which is illegal. <laughs> um, you well, know, that's... Well, to be clear, McCoy is an alcoholic. Oh, absolutely he is. <laughs> he and Scotty are both Remember alcoholics. Remember the conscience of the king? Of course. When, oh, yeah, when they're right. in the sick bay and, and, Kirk, uh, <laughs> and McCoy says to Spock, would you like a, drink, a drop of the crew? And he goes, uh, my, spot, my father was uh, spared the dubious benefits of alcohol. <laughs> and McCoy goes, oh, now I know why they were conquered. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, that scene in Kirk's quarters, like I remember when I was a kid, yeah. I thought that, was, that scene was a little slow. But, you know, as a oh, grown it's up, a great scene. Yeah. It's, it is a great scene. You get it. Damn it, Jim, what the hell is the matter with you? Other people have birthdays. Why are we treating yours like a funeral? Bones, I don't want to be lectured. What the hell do you want? Kirk is having a midlife crisis. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. like being an admiral. He doesn't like having a desk job. Right. He, admits, he misses 
that seat once on the bridge again, of the Enterprise. And once again, it's a fantastic, ballsy decision to make to make your hero go through a midlife crisis in the second film of a franchise that you're trying to launch. You don't make him like Indiana Jones. You don't make him like this regal, like swashbuckling guy. No, there's an internal struggle that he's trying to figure out in his head, and his friends are trying to help him through it and as best they can. As best you know, they can. And I think this was smart because the, the, the people who had watched Star Trek, majority of the people who had been adults, were in this their own experience at that time themselves. And so That's they could relate point. and connect. And the kids too, because you understand seeing your father go through it. There's a connection. Right. Well, there. there was also, you know, uh, I, I mentioned how how uh, if, when motion picture came out, it had been 10 years since the end of yeah. the original series. Right. But the characters were only supposed to have aged two and a half years, right. yeah. which isn't really fair to them that they had to look only two and a half years yeah. older when in fact they were 10. But now, you know that what? That is such a bizarre choice, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It's like there is a reality here. Right? <laughs> what difference does it make? Say it's 10 years. But now, now all bets are off. And right. they acknowledge that. I mean, even when Kirk later in the film is reminiscing about right. Connie, goes, "As a man, I've, I haven't seen in 15, 15 years. Yeah, 15. trying to kill me." So, okay, we're acknowledging that it has been 15 years yeah. since the the swashbuckling Captain Kirk in right. the original series, and he is dealing with his mortality, and he's dealing with like, who who am I yeah. without without that center seat on the Enterprise? Yeah. And one of the things that's so good for a screenwriter is you you never want to be doing just one thing right. you always want to be doing multiple things at once and the and the glasses are a great example of this mm -hmm. the glasses are a you love old things we see all these antiques on kirk's wall yeah. b it's you you need these i'm a doctor i'm prescribing these glasses for you, you need them yeah. c they're a reminder of your age and then they come back throughout the film and we see them they're, they're this feeling of embarrassment for him mm -hmm. and then at the end they're broken and so it's not and so we let the we have this one prop but this prop is doing all this heavy lifting for symbolic, us yeah. throughout the film because it's so symbolic exactly right. and the book he gives him too it was the best of times yeah the was the books, from, yeah. books from spock charles yeah, dickens he says, and he says it message None that I'm aware of. Except, of course, Except happy, happy birthday. birthday. <laughs> Surely the best of times. Surely the best of times. And the worst of times. Right. You know? of times. But that's Spock trying to lift up his spirits as best he can because he's a Vulcan. He's so, not going to so do it like So you're talking about a screenplay. You're talking about a yeah. story that does many things, like you said. It infuses yeah. Charles Dickens. It infuses her, Melville. Melville. Yeah, Moby Dick. Melby yeah, Moby Dick. Dick. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Khan is Ahab. And Kirk is the whale. Yeah. Well, and Star Trek has a long tradition of using Shakespeare and oh, yeah. literature. Yeah. And Nick Myers comes in and sees that and goes, oh, we can do that. And he happens to pick two great books mm -hmm. that are they're just perfect. So, okay, yeah. we've, we've got Kirk feeling old. Uh, and now we have to go off to the Reliant and see our good friend Chekhov. Yes. Chekhov, right. Yeah. Commander Chekhov. Commander Chekhov, right. who's going to beam down to this planet because they're looking for a life form. Seti Alpha right. 6. So we think well, they're, well, they're looking we, yeah. for a planet that does not have life. Right. Does it have so to be completely lifeless? The, this new, this new uh, genesis device. Yeah. Because there can't be so much as a microbe or the, <laughs> or the probe is off. Right. So they're like, oh, well, it might be a particle of preeminent matter caught in a matrix that we can just Whatever transport that means, elsewhere. Right. <laughs> well... Maybe they should have just moved on. Yeah, I mean, first of all, this was not we don't have Alpha a movie. Six. Yeah. This was SETI Alpha Five, which was uh, uh, adjusted after SETI Alpha Six exploded. Right. But talk about a great buildup, a great setup. You know, uh, Chekhov and Captain Terrell, played by the great Paul Winfield, yeah, who's great, beam down, and uh, you know they go they, through the crazy sandstorm. You can't yeah. see. You're disoriented. They're disoriented. Yeah. They get inside the, uh, the 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 cargo holds, and they see. 
books, you know, Paradise yeah. Lost. Yes. Moby Dick. Moby call, Dick. Yes, the call out. And, and, and they see this thing lurking in, in, a, in a cage of sorts. Right. What the hell is that? Is what Terrell says. And, you know, Chekhov just like, you know, braces himself, holding onto a belt where the buckle says, Botany Bay. <laughs> I, I still get the chills. Yeah. From that scene, mm-hmm. even though he was not in Space Seed. Sure. Right. Sure. You know, maybe he was just in the lower decks of the Enterprise <laughs> at that time. That's fine. Yeah. But Which when is he goes, his contention. Just that, that look. We, we, he's freaking scared. Yeah. We, we got to get out of here now. Damn. Like, he's like, oh, man, we yeah. got to get out of here. Right. And they, they, you know, sure enough, uh, the entire Botany Bay crew is right outside. And right? we talk about entrances and exits. That is an entrance. Yeah. That is a, and it's not, it's not really an entrance so much as a reveal. Yeah. Slowly by slowly, the pieces come across, come off his face yes. in the mask, and then he takes it off, and it's the long hair, and he looks pissed. And but if you, wa- you know, you say regal. that Montalban's performance in Space Seed is off the charts, which it is. Yes. It is. He chews the scenery. Yes. And, but in this... It is three steps higher. Yes. The intensity that he brings, speaking softly, just, I mean, he, he is a powerful, powerful dude. On Earth, 200 years ago, I was a prince with power over millions. Captain Kirk was your host. He repaid his hospitality by trying to steal his ship and murder him. You didn't expect to find me. You thought this was SETI Alpha 6. Why are you here? Why? This is the level of control and relaxed confidence, arrogance to a degree because of his intelligence that comes through right from the beginning in that intro. Just how he talks to Chekhov, how he talks to uh, uh, Paul Winfield's character, Captain Terrell, and how he says to him, but you, I never forget the face. But the thing that's amazing, and this is a great story, is that Walter Koenig read the script saw that he was in this opening scene, knew he had not right. been in Space Seed, and did not tell anybody about it. And he said, he said, because if I told someone, as an actor, you don't ever give up screen time. No, no, and of course not. if he not. had told somebody, they would have rewritten that scene. And wow. it was so, and so from, the, from that point forward, people had, he, they had to come up with an excuse that he was in a lower deck, that Khan had run into him at some point, <laughs> which is why I remembered his face. And I think it's one of the great lores about this well, film. And, and this, this goes to one of those points, you know, like obviously we're all three geeky people yes. who have like have maybe gotten a little far too into this stuff. Never. And, and yes, God never. bless us for it. That's yeah, right. And, and, and yes, there are times that you see a thing and you go, uh, that in episode 24, <laughs> the, you know, but we do that. But yes. here's the key thing that we have to remember. If it's good, I don't give a shit. Yes. If it's bad, I will point out why you're wrong. Of course. I don't care that Chekhov's not in space. See, because yeah. this scene is awesome. Yep. And I will forgive you the fact that, I mean, who cares? Right. It's not important. You gave me a great scene. Yes. My favorite moment of that scene, you know, so you have you have Khan trying to figure out, like, why are you here? And he lets him out, why? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, he's... Uh, Says, oh, you know, he never told you the tale. To me, as your captain, never told you how the Enterprise picked up the Botany Bay lost in space 15 years ago, commanded by Captain James T. Cook. Just so mad, so bitter, so building with vengeance. But first, 
his anger is upped even more when he finds out that he's Admiral, Admiral Kirk. Kirk. Yeah, Admiral. Yeah. Oh, it's never told you so how. Great. Admiral Kirk. It's so great. And then he starts up. Allow me to introduce you to City Alpha 5's only remaining indigenous. That yeah. scared the shit out of me. It of course. It still does. It's, the effect still works. There's yep. some giant plastic ear or whatever they did. Yeah. Man, that is very unsettling. Yeah. And v- disturbing. Very disturbing. When yeah. watching that as a 13-year-old. Yeah. For the first time, watching that thing go into Chekhov's ear, watching Terrell and Chekhov scream their heads off yeah. until, until they're not screaming, but you know that they're writhing in pain. And I don't care how many times you see the movie. I don't care how many times you see that scene. It is still a very disturbing scene and very uh, out of the realm for something you would see in Star Trek. This is oh, what yeah. I was just going to say. Yeah. yeah, it completely is. Go ahead, well, and that, well, but and this is the key to this film is that yeah. it is recognizably correctly Star Trek, and it's taking our character of Kirk to a place that we haven't seen him yeah. go before, yep. and it's taking uh, some elements in the story to things that we haven't seen before in yes. Star Trek, but it's still within what is correctly Star Trek. Yes. Um, because you have to push. You know, you ha- you can't just keep cranking out the mm-hmm. same thing. If you're going to do a movie, you have to take us to a new place, but still be honoring where you came from. And if you're going to uh, what you said, Steve, people it, that the first the motion picture barely did enough to warrant a second one, you've got to go balls out in the second yeah. one to it's, see if you're going to make it. Go yeah. big or go home. Go big or go point. home. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, so we come back to the end. We're now back with Kirk, yep. and he's in a shuttlecraft heading to the Enterprise. And this is the big thing I want to point out about the difference between Wrath of Khan and Motion Picture mm-hmm. is both of them have a sequence where Kirk is in a shuttle heading to the Enterprise. Well, and it's a lot shorter than the other. And, yeah, one is, <laughs> one is like, particularly the director's cut. And the director's cut for Motion Picture, that goes on for like eight minutes or something. Yeah. And that sequence in motion picture is look at how amazing our special effects are isn't this amazing and it is beautiful special effects Mm -hmm. and there is no character to it this trip to the enterprise is all about kirk's nervousness and excitement and him feeling his seeing who he was as a young man compared to who he is as an old man and he's filled with internal conflict and that is why it's better and it's, it's so great. He, you know, he says to Sula, I'm glad to have you at the helm for a few weeks. I don't think these kids can steer, you know, but, but the, the, the shift in tone from the scenes on SETI Alpha 5 and the, the Botany Bay cargo holds, uh, which is very dark and really like setting up what's to come. And then that split second when you see Kirk reading A Tale of Two Cities on the shuttlecraft on the yeah, way to the Enterprise. The and the score becomes very like light and, and, and idealistic. And, you know, you're seeing the Enterprise. Basically, you're seeing the same exact footage that they shot for Star Trek The Motion Picture. And they're just cutting to the chase. Let's get this thing docked. And uh, and then you know the way he enters uh, and and he sees Scotty and he goes, uh, Scotty, you're well. You want Space Dog? And he goes, I had a wee bout, sir, but Doctor McCoy pulled me through. And uh, Kirk <laughs> goes, A wee bout of what? McCoy sure goes, leave. Sure leave. Admiral. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. And we get Scotty as, as Kirk goes through the Enterprise. We see his excitement. We yeah. see him. You know, he cuts off the inspection short. We go up to the bridge. We're going to take the ship up, but he's standing in the background and Shatner performance is great so great Shatner's performance in The Wrath of Khan is his finest hour no question agreed I mean you know people make fun of the scene where he screams Khan but but his performance that that he nowhere else in in Star Trek or I would say I mean you know I watched TJ Hooker too and I watched Boston Illegal and the the practice where he originated the character Denny Crane 
he has never been better than he is. Agreed. His arc mm-hmm. in The Wrath of Khan uh, is it is the genius of William Shatner mm-hmm. and that that you he you know he goes from the way you you see him just you know in a crisis to being excited to be back on the enterprise to sort of like sort of secretly being excited about sitting in the seat again even though yeah. he wants to make sure it's cool with Spock yeah. but we'll get to that but also unsettled when McCoy says do you, do you need, want a tranquilizer do you want a tranquilizer the oh. shaking of the head. Yeah. The shaking of the head to me is everything. By the way, Roka just did a beautiful <laughs> head shake. If this was on video, you would have seen I, it. I, I just, I love that moment because it is the one of those rare moments where we see Captain Kirk purely vulnerable and yeah. weak in that moment. Well, he's Not weak vul- in a negative way. Just f- because human. Human. Yes. And which then is a split what second later, Spock says to him, when, when, when Savick takes yeah. the Enterprise out and everything is fine, you know, McCoy looks at him and Kirk is like, yeah, piece of cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wasn't worried at all, Doctor McCoy. So well, but but it so was such great. a great scene, you know, the way the way the mentor Spock was like, yeah, take her out, Mister Savick. Yeah. And, and look, it's Spock's Alley. clearly a great teacher. Yeah. Yes. He's the teacher we want to have. He's sensitive. He's tough. He's mm-hmm. he's he's you know got all sorts of wisdom to drop on you i want to say one thing just about shatner's performance um this is what nicholas meyer said is this is how he says he got the performance out of him was a lot of takes because what he said was in the first takes you saw the shatner persona right (laughs) and that and that then the second take and the third take and then shatner would push the persona he would get bigger and then what would happen is after many takes he would just start to get tired and the Shatner persona would sort of fade away and you were left with the man you were and left this, with an organic an organic person yeah. who's yeah. just humanly interacting with these other people mm-hmm. and he did this over and over and over again and, and this is the thing of being a director is you know there's the wonderful quote from Orson Welles that the job of the director is to make love to the actors yeah. and every actor wants to be made love to in a slightly different way and of course he doesn't mean make love to sexually although right. he did that sometimes Times, but he means, <laughs> but he means that you got to find out the key to unlock the potential of the actor, yeah. and it seems like Nicholas Myers found a thing here for Shatner, yeah. and his performance, as you say, is amazing. Well, if you connect what happens with him and Bones with the Romulan ale and the glasses, right? That's that you. He's still strong, but the struggle is there. The midlife crisis is struggle is there, and it it permeates the whole film. This is not about age, and you know it. It's about you flying a goddamn computer console when you want to be out there hopping galaxies. Spare me your notions of poetry, please. We all have our assigned duties. Paul, you're hiding. Hiding behind rules and regulations. Who am I hiding from? From yourself, Admiral. So we have Chekhov on a monitor talking to, for the first time we meet, Dr. Carol Marcus and her son David. And there are scientists that are working in this place. And Chekhov is saying, we're going to come take the Genesis device from you. And they freak out. All the scientists are upset because the military has always uh, Mm -hmm. taken advantage of science. And they're going to do it again. They're going to weaponize this thing. We don't know what it is at this point. And who gave this order? Chekhov with this strange pause. Strange pause. Haunting. Haunting pause. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, well... Admiral Kirk. Yeah, James T. Kirk. Yeah. I knew, I knew it. Science is always positive in the military. Right. This is completely improper, Commander Chekhov. I ha- cannot and will not subscribe to your interpretation of these events. Uh, and what we discover, of course, is that there's Khan standing beside Chekhov feeding him. Yeah. The right there. Yeah. Right. When you go to, when you stop looking from Carol's point of view and you're on the uh, Reliance yeah. and Khan is standing right above him and he's got the eel in his head and he's doing exactly yeah. what Khan wants. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game 
Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Steve, and as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. And this leads us into Carol Marcus trying to make essentially a phone call with very bad cell reception to Kirk on the Enterprise. Why are you taking Genesis away? And again, Shatner's performance in what? Who's taking it? Yeah, who's who's taking Genesis? It's really good, and she doesn't hear him. It's extremely frustrating. It's just the way that can you hear me? Hello, hello on your cell phone. Yeah, basically, really frustrating now. And suddenly we have a real crisis. We're out on this training mission, but now Kirk's got a real crisis to face. They're the only ship in the quadrant. They're the ones who can get to rely, uh, regular one the fastest. Right. But uh, it's a boatload of children, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Spock, these cadets of yours, how good are they? How will they respond under real pressure? As with all living things, each according to his gifts. Of course, the ship is yours. No, that won't be necessary. Just get me to regular one. He has this moment where he thinks he has to do the right thing, and he tells Spock in his quarters, like, uh, you can still take out the key command of the ship. And, and Spock has to tell him. Spock has to tell him. Yeah. Like, you, you assume something that is you, not you true. You for a false assumption, yeah, Captain. I have no ego to bruise. I have no ego to bruise. Yeah, it's a, that, is a, that is another great moment. That uh, moment makes me cry every time. You proceed from a false assumption. I am a Vulcan. I have no ego to bruise. You're about to remind me that logic alone dictates your actions. I would not remind you of that would do no so well. If I may be so bold, it was a mistake for you to accept promotion. Commanding a starship is your first best destiny. Anything else is a waste of material. I would not presume to debate you. That is wise. He's saying to him, "This is what. This is where you, you should have never taken the admiral position. Right? You never right. should have taken the job. Yeah. Your place is on. Your place has always been on the bridge well, of the, and, of the starship. And in a way, and my place is at your side. Yeah. Right. You know, it's a beautiful Be- scene. Right. Because Spock is saying to him, "I love you," without saying to him, "I love you." Yeah. I you're understand. my first officer. You're, you're or you're my, yeah. you're my superior officer. You're my superior, you're my superior you're officer. Also you are also my friend. I have been, and always shall be yours. Such a great oh, scene. such a great moment. There's not a wasted word in the scene. Nope. And, and particularly because that's also the scene where we hear for the first time that the needs of the many outweigh the yeah. needs of the few. Yeah. Or the one. Or the one. Then, right after that, you're on the bridge, and Kirk walks through, 
and he's he's Captain Kirk. Yeah, you know, yep. uh, bridged all decks. Uh, emergency situation has arisen. Yeah, as of now, I'm assuming command of this vessel. <laughs> like, you know, I'm in the audience. It's like, yeah, he's back <laughs> in a completely so different way than he did in the motion picture. That's the thing. There's this right? very similar yeah. plot going on. Yeah, and yet story wise, it's entirely different. Just one little thing that I just thought was just a nice little touch. You know, so Kirk is being he's very, being very captainly now, uh, and then uh, you know. Uh, he's standing right at the helm, and Kirk looks at Sulu and he goes, "Warp five, Mister Sulu." Yeah, yeah. He smiles. He goes, "So much for the little training cruise." Wish. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's, it's so great. Yep. So, so we go in, and because Kirk now has to explain to Spock and McCoy what Genesis is, yeah, and we get this beautiful computer graphic yeah. from this little tiny company that's a subdivision of Lucasfilm, known as Pixar. Wow. It was the very first Pixar ever on a movie what? screen, as far as I know. Yeah. Very first CGI ever on really? a movie screen is the demonstration of the Genesis device. I didn't device. know that. Yeah. That's awesome. First time ever. I think it was uh, Mike okay. Miner uh, uh, did some of the special effects on that. That's uh, But that scene, okay. And, and it's not just that this is a demonstration of the Genesis device. Right. It is the... Uh, demonstration by Kirk's old flame, Carol Marcus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like Spock, oh, Carol Marcus. And Kirk just goes, yes. Like, he still loves her. Right. But the demonstration of that, the way Carol Marcus, B.B. Besh, the late great B.B. Besh, yes. is... Um, she's great. Talking yeah. the, the voiceover, and you see... The, demonstra- the demonstration, you see the Genesis device in effect while she's talking over it, and then she stops talking, and then you see the planet transform from a dead moon into a, a live, living, breathing planet that mm-hmm. we can that can support any life we see fit to deposit on it. And by the way, great foreshadowing. What does Genesis mean? Life from death. Right. This we sure. see this coming. Mm-hmm. Two and three. We see three Star Trek three coming in this moment. Life from death, right? Well, and, and just getting back really quickly to Kirk's old flame yeah. is that, you know, Kirk's a loving and leave him kind of guy. Sure. <laughs> he has a lot of women in a lot of episodes, and there are a couple of those women who touch it, touch him in a different way. Yeah. And you see just in the moment of Shatner watching her on screen in this video that this is one of them. Right, she breaks some. This is someone special. The way he responds to her, absolutely, is the way a couple, an old couple would respond to each other or people who had known each other intimately. Who, what, who's trying to... Carol, what? I, who's trying to take Janet? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. There's that you, kind of shorthand between them because of the th- understanding. This is important. Yeah. And then we get, which we kind of touched on before, the argument between Spock and McCoy. Yeah. And this is this is that you know ethos, logos, pathos thing. <laughs> this is this is central core to Star Trek. Dear Lord, do you think we're intelligent enough to suppose? What if this thing we use, where life already exists, it would destroy such life? in favor of its new matrix. Its new matrix? Do you have any idea what you're saying? I was not attempting to evaluate its moral implications, Doctor. As a matter of cosmic history, it has always been easier to destroy than to create. Not anymore. Now we can do both at the same time. According to myth, the Earth was created in six days. Now watch out. Here comes Genesis. We'll do it for you in six minutes. Really, Dr. McCoy? You must learn to govern your passions. They will be your undoing. Logic suggests... Logic? My God, the man's talking about logic. We're talking about universal Armageddon. 
You're green-blooded and human. And, that, and by the way, as Spock and McCoy are going back and forth arguing, that look on Kirk's face where he just like shakes his head, closes his eyes. <laughs> I mean, you know, like I'm like there's so many times, so many times on the Bridge of the Enterprise in the original series where yeah. Spock and McCoy are going at it. Kirk goes, going, "Okay, gentlemen, that's enough." I mean, that that makes yeah. me go, "Ah, oh, now we're talking. Now mm-hmm. this is Star Trek." And it's Here so important to Star Trek because Star Trek is an exploration of ideas. Yeah. And the thing about McCoy and Spock in this argument nobody's wrong here right you know in, in the middle of the argument federation starship approaching oh, what, what do you make of her it's one of ours it's it's reliant what's reliant, mm. what's reliant? reliant. and then the score kicks in yeah. that military score try the emergency channels and the the next scene is shot and edited and directed brilliantly the back and forth between the bridge of the enterprise to the bridge of the reliant and kirk sits and they're like oh what's this is damn peculiar peculiar. yellow alert is it possible that comm systems fail it would explain a great many things they're requesting communication sir let them meet static they're still running with shields down of course, we are one big happy fleet. Ah, Kirk, my old friend. Do you know the Klingon proverb that tells us revenge is a dish that is best served cold? It is very cold in space. They still haven't raised their shields. Mm-hmm. Congos, raise, raise ours. They still haven't raised their shields. Raise ours. Their shields are going up. Lock faces on target. Locking faces on target. They're locking faces. Raise shields. Fire! When you see the phaser blast hit the side of the oh, yeah. Enterprise. Yeah. Like, that is still a shocking, like, oh, my God. Because we've never seen anything like this right. before. Never seen right. anything like that ever happen to the mm-hmm. Enterprise. Well, and, and let's go back one second that's really important, which is that Kirk really screws up. Yes. Because Savik does tell him, hey, we don't have communications. You're supposed to wear shields. Right. And he doesn't. And really, all of this movie would be solved <laughs> if he had only <laughs> listened to Savik. <laughs> because then he would have his shields up. And there's no way a Reliant can take out the Enterprise if right. it has his shields up. The other thing, when, that, when those... We don't pay a lot of attention to what happens below the decks in most of Star Trek. Good point. And this movie really does. Other than Scotty, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and this movie really does. And you see, because we hear, yeah. oh, 12 people were killed on you know deck 23. Yeah. Yeah. We don't see them. Right. In this movie, you really do. When that phaser hits the side of the Enterprise, you have bodies flying mm-hmm. and smoke falling. And when, and when we see engineering and they have their masks on and there's panic and yeah. there's smoke panic. everywhere. That's crucial. That's yeah. crucial, Steve. It's scary. There's panic because of all their the kids. rookies on yeah. the Enterprise. Yes. And you hear the people in the back, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Yeah. I need air. I need air. I mean, you've never seen that in a star. Anything yeah. Yeah. like before, I have to say, or since. 
you have not seen that kind of fear mm-hmm. and panic no. on on any starship, yep. let alone the Enterprise. And even Scotty is at his wits' end in that almost barely, uh, almost barely keeping from passing out. Yeah. When he says, "How much time? I, mean, he, I, I could have it online in two. We don't have a couple of minutes." Yeah, this. <laughs> his, <laughs> I, I, Captain Auxiliary Power. Poor right? Scotty. That good? Yeah. <laughs> he has to do a lot of stuff. <laughs> he really does. You know, and, and Spock's point: they they knew where to hit us, yes. who would hit us, and why. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and then we're, we're in this great mystery. Yes. Who is this? Who's the, who's the enemy here? Mm-hmm. Who is the enemy here? And then, but once again, uh, it's go big or go home. This idea of seeing the death of these engineering people in that moment with yeah. the shots, go big or go home. Yeah. But and then, and then Carabon, the, the commander of the Reliant is signaling. They wish to discuss terms of our surrender. Such a great moment. It's such a great moment. And then something they'd never conceived of on screen, Admiral. And Kirk gets up, right? He he gets up into the frame. Yep. The frame doesn't follow him. Nope. He gets up into the frame yeah. and goes, God. The pause is what does it. The yeah. pause, which is once again, Shatner's performance here. The pause is what sells it. The shock of the pause. Yeah. God. Would it be so great, crazy. by the way, if he didn't recognize him? Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He goes, <laughs> <laughs> Movie would have been completely different. I'm, does, Could you it, remind me? Could you, but you, the confidence. Yeah. Of the confidence and the control yeah. of Kai, you still remember. I can't yeah. help yeah. but be touched. I, of course, <laughs> remember, remember, remember you. you. I, of course, remember you. What is the meaning of this attack? Where is the crew of the Reliant? Surely I have made my meaning plain. I mean to avenge myself upon you, Admiral. I've deprived your ship of power, and when I swing around, I mean to deprive you of your life. But I wanted you to know first who it was who had beaten you. Like, the delivery, the glee, yeah. the glee. I mean to avenge myself yeah, upon yeah. you, Admiral. And this is the thing. Khan is, you know, smarter. He's stronger. Mm-hmm. He's got all these advantages. And his arrogance and his theatricality, those are his weaknesses. But I always believe it's because he secretly thinks Shatner, or Kirk, is his equal. He secretly hates that Kirk well, is his equal. Well, that's what he hates about him. Well, that's what yeah, I always I, think. I, because I Kirk, yeah. even in that moment when he realizes Khan... Kirk immediately engages him in a conversation. Why? Because Kirk needs time to process what he's going yeah. to do. He knows that if he plays to Khan's ego, he will buy himself the time he needs to figure, to, to figure out. It out what to do next. You well, know, I got to tell you something. In the, what is it now, 34 years yeah. or 35 years this year, 2017, since that movie came out, I've never thought about it like that. Oh, really? oh yeah. Oh, because... Yeah. In the original series, <clears throat> there's that line where Khan says to Kerr, Captain, uh, uh, you're uh, quite obviously inferior. Like, he clearly <laughs> looks down on him. But it never dawned on me that after all of that, after Kirk had sort of the, uh, the, the clarity and, and the, uh, the boldness to not just follow orders and, and regulations and put him on a penal colony, right. to, to set him free, in a sense— mm-hmm. That maybe he did think, you know what? This guy is my equal. Yeah. And that scares the hell out of me. Absolutely. How many people in his entire life ever got the better of Khan? No. Kirk. And that's what he... And that's in that, in that crap. moment. Dude, my mind is fucking blown well, right you, now. Well, Am I about to drop the F-bomb occasionally? Yeah, of course. Fuck yes. All right, yes. <laughs> and that's why I'm going to beat you on Movie oh, Fight, man. Oh, my God. I always got him on. All right, gentlemen, gentlemen. The truth. Remember the truth. The truth. That's right, the truth. Remember the truth. I'm always one step ahead of you. Oh, my God. How could you 
you do this to me? Oh my god, I, I, I gotta, I gotta practice. So, uh, all right, back, back and now we get. Food. So we just had Kirk make a screw up of epic proportions, and now in our next moment, Kirk's back. Because this is classic Kirk. Yes. Is that this is the trickster Kirk. This is Corbin Might Maneuver. This is poker. Kobayashi Maru. This is, yep. this yep. is yep. him not playing by the rules. Right. He's going to cheat. He's going to get the whatever prefix code the or whatever code. the hell we call Death it. Death has little meaning to us. Yeah. If it has none to you, attack us now. We grow with your <laughs> Classic. 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 Yeah. You're right. He is. He's back. He's back on the very first episode that was ever produced for the original series. Uh, you know, keep nodding as though I'm still giving yes, orders. So uh, pull, pull up the prefix code. And, and Safik goes, why? It's coming in. And, and Spock goes, the prefix code? It's all we've got. <laughs> and there's even, even within that, though, we have these little touches of then he has to put on the glasses. Right. And yeah. that's so great. <laughs> little bits of character. And then yes. we take over the control, now, lower Kyle. the shield, <laughs> and... <laughs> And yes. here it comes. And Khan's reaction to those shields oh. going down. Raise them! Kirk got, I can't! Kirk got the better of him again. again. Yeah. Kirk got the better of him again. It, it, it is a true battle of wits. Yeah. Because as Spock later said, he's intelligent, but inexperienced. But inexperienced. Pattern indicates two-dimensional, two-dimensional thinking. thinking. Which is, to me, an allusion to the chess game that they play in the pilot that has oh, always the 3D been chess? the 3D chess. Huh. To me, that was always a reference to the original pilot. Never thought where of Spock does the either. 3D chess. Yeah, listen, I'm a genius. Goddamn, that's what I'm trying to tell you. I need to have a job on one of these networks. So I'm just to me, this is what that moment is. It's and Spock has to say it because Spock is the one that's playing that 3D chess in the pilot. And to me, that's a reference right. to go back to old now school. I'm just think about that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So the the other because we got to move fast. We're, yeah, yeah. we're going to spend seven hours trying to get through this <laughs> this two hour movie. You've got to edit it. Sorry, but yeah, <laughs> the Enterprise attack on the Reliant. Just about as brutal as what happened yes. to the Enterprise. Yeah. And the two ships get away, just barely. Reliant is tra- is can't move right now. Mm-hmm. Enterprise crawls away. And now we've got to beam down to regular one and find out what the hell's going on. Yeah. But before that, Ugh. but before that, okay. you know, you think, okay, the Enterprise, you know, we, we fought back. We're, we're okay. And then the, the, the doors yeah. to the bridge open. And Scotty yes. is uh, standing in the door with him. You're right. We have to deal with And this. like you said, mm-hmm. we are see- really seeing... The damage, not just to the Enterprise itself, but to the crew of the Enterprise. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that scene, honestly, before, before they get to regular one, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, and, and Sky's like, you know, he, you know, he stayed at his post while the other yeah. trainees ran away. And uh, Kirk says to Uhura on the intercom, best speed to regular one. And McCoy goes, you know, I'm sorry, Scotty. Yeah. It's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yep. You know, because Jimmy Doohan in that in yeah. that movie was He's also great. fantastic. And, and, the, and in the extended edition, you see more of his connection with right that it's his oh, nephew, right. it's his nephew, nephew, and all this. Yeah. And, and it's a Disney actor who plays oh. who had been pre- had done previous movies as a younger kid in Disney films, and so to see him in that uh, sequence lent that little bit of of gravitas and, to and it. And just there's never been blood in Star Trek, right? The blood on the shirt at the mm-hmm. full the cool fold down uniform yeah. thing. Oh that yeah, where you really see blood stain. Yeah, I mean that, you saw you saw blood a little in the original series, like in the mock time when the yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. They, that, that's a great shot. Yeah, you know the, the, the shirt is cut. And yeah, it's, like lucky to be alive. Um, but when the when the Enterprise approaches regular, the the special effects shot yeah. of of you know the the uh, regular is in the foreground. The Enterprise is approaching, and you see the Nebula in the background. Yeah. It's actually a gorgeous shot. And, and as the Enterprise is approaching, you hear 
Uhura say it over and over again. Right. Enterprise, this is regular. You know, uh, yeah. this Which is again, Enterprise. Please come in. We've and, never been on that side of it. We've no. always been on the other side. Right. And and you know, you see Uhura on the monitors yeah. all over regular, which is deserted. Yeah. And then it's an interesting little thing. Is like. <clears throat> As the Enterprise comes across the uh, the, the the foreground and the Verli- the uh, regular is right behind it, you you hear the Enterprise like sort of like power down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It, it, the detail of this it's, movie is really mm-hmm. staggering. So we beam down to regular one, and we have Savick, Kirk, and McCoy, and this sequence is scary. Yeah, it is. It's, it's like really a horror creepy. movie. We just did... I know, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, go ahead. No, you say it. Uh, We just did an episode of Alien, and I don't know where in the chronological order that this will come out in our show, but it's very reminiscent to where they're trying to find the alien after, or the face Yeah, with the chains hanging down. Yeah, with the chains hanging down. All that stuff is very reminiscent. Oh, that's a good point. And it's bloody. It's a a great scene. It's well stated. I don't know where the hell that rat came from. Yeah, right. You know, maybe it was just on the cargo when they beamed it to... There's always rats. There's always rats. There's rats in this house right now. (laughs) (laughs) And McCoy's backing up into that yeah. body hanging That's there. That's scary. Scared the his, crap out of me. You know, his, all those bodies yes. hanging there? I mean, his Star Trek movie? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing that he yeah. does. And he's like, Jim. Yeah. Like, he can't even, like, scream because right. he's scared to and death. In addition to finding, this is the this is the scientist from Regular One, right. not including uh, uh, Carol or David. Yeah. Uh, in addition to finding them, who've all been horribly tortured to death, yes. we open up a box and we find Chekhov, Chekhov and, and Terrell. Terrell. And Terrell. And Terrell's the one that tells him. He tortured those people. He, he went, went wild. wild. He slit their throats. Slit their throats. <laughs> but while Kirk and Savick and McCoy are trying to talk to yeah. Chekhov and Terrell, they are staring almost into the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're clearly not right. No. no. But McCoy and Savick and Kirk don't know that yeah. yet. Well, they don't know the level of the not rightness. They know <laughs> yeah. they've been yeah. through some shit. But they don't know yeah. what's about to happen. You don't buy which is, check off for a second, though. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, of Steve. course. Yeah. Which is, and we see that the transporter coordinates, the last time they yeah. used the transporter was to beam down to the mm-hmm. middle of the planet. We decide we're going to go follow them. And McCoy's great. Go where? Wherever they went. And, <laughs> Suppose they went nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> then well, this will be a big chance to get, get away, away from, from it all. <laughs> That's great. That's great. That Classic Star Trek. Of intensity. Yep. Humor. Yeah. yeah. Oh, which is the best parts of Star Trek. Yeah. With the Absolutely. humor, with the intensity. Absolutely. Yeah. Being down, and yeah. then we're right into a fight. Yes. And this one is really prof- profound to me. Mm-hmm. David attacks Kirk, and you can see Kirk is, David is no match for him. Right. Kirk is more shocked by looking at this person and going like, oh, I have to fight this guy, than he is in the fight scene. Right. Disarms him, and then we hear, David, stop. And Shatner's reaction to the name David is he's because holding his he's holding yeah. his fist. He goes, "Where's Doctor Marcus? Yeah. I'm Doctor Marcus, Jim." And he goes, he goes to Carol. Yeah. You know, he he takes a beat. He's just in shock. Like, is that David? Like, yeah. again, the so the genius powerful, of William Shatner. Yeah. Well, and and this is is like you know classic screenwriting rule is show don't tell. Mm. Is right. that yeah we could tell you that Kirk has a son and his son's name is David and he's Carol's son and they, we could tell you all this so much better for Kirk to go is that David and see his face and and we know he had this relationship with Carol yeah. and we know it's an old as a doctor you should know that about uh, not putting salt on old wounds reopening old wounds yeah. <laughs> such a great line <laughs> is that is that and suddenly we start to connect oh shit yeah 
is David Kirk's son? Does Kirk have a son? Right. Is that what I'm seeing here? And you start to suspect it somewhere in this timeline, in this moment. It's hard. Because, because Dr. Marcus says to David, of course not, David. You're only making this harder. It's and hard. that right. is the clue, the cue to lead, her, to lead him into saying well, what uh, Terrell says. Because that is our first real illusion that there's a family here, a broken family yeah. here. Mm-hmm. And then... Right as we're dealing with that bit of emotion, we have to hear, I'm sorry, it's worse than that, Admiral. Right. And oh, there we have... Harder than you think. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and for, for, you know, Terrell to shoot himself. Yeah. Instead it's of... powerful acting. Powerful acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Chekhov doesn't get a chance to do anything before mm-hmm. the pain finally gets to him. And... The way <laughs> the way they shot that the the ear uh, and yeah. the city eel coming out of the ear, yeah. and and then there's the whole you know, God, you bloodsucker! <laughs> you have to do your dirty work, but now you got to come down here. Do you hear me? Do you? And then that. That's the full Shatner, by the way. Right. That, now we're into the full Shatner. That must have been... Wait, Steve, that was take one. Uh, exactly. <laughs> that was Probably. take one. Scott, con you bloodsucker. Yeah. Still. Oh, Frank. Okay, yeah. that's, that's like... um. Season three. Yeah. <laughs> but once again, Khan's reaction is great. Khan is shocked. He's got the best of him again. But he has control. He has Genesis. He knows he's going to do that. So he, just in that temporary moment, he reclaims the higher ground. Khan, bloodsucker. You're going to have to do your own dirty work now. Do you hear me? Do you? Kirk. Kirk. You're still alive, my old friend. Still, old friend. You've managed to kill just about everyone else, but like a poor marksman, you keep missing the target. Perhaps I no longer need to try, Admiral. Oh, no! They're going caretaker! Khan, you've got Genesis, but you don't have me. You are going to kill me, Khan. You're going to have to come down here. You're going to have to come down here. I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. I've hurt you, yes. And I wish to go on. Hurting you. Hurting you. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, most usually in these podcasts, I continually am cutting to the actual dialogue of the film, <laughs> but you guys are doing such a good job performing the dialogue. Yeah, I don't think uh, by the way, we could do a separate podcast where we just act. The whole movie. The whole movie. And we'll do it. Don't dare us, mister. <laughs> we will do it. Because Not today. Yes. Not today. I've got my Vulcan ears to put on. Yeah. And, and we, we, we're going to give just a moment to respect the... Yes. I shall leave you as you left me, as you left her, marooned for all eternity in the center of a dead planet. Buried alive. Buried alive. I mean, that scene when you watch that in later years like when it's re-released in theaters and you go with the crowd yeah. people cheer yes they cheer Khan like yeah, yeah. Khan like the echo it's all about the echo and then the look on Khan's face where it's like you know he looks like he just took like a, a massive dude right. well, I, <laughs> and I love too right before it is the buried alive buried alive, buried alive. Khan 
Um, and I love that they pan out and it echoes through the stars. Yeah. Yeah. That's how ancient this anger is. It's so powerful. There's no big, sound in space, stuff. but for Khan, we'll make an exception. Yes, yeah. right. <laughs> so, uh, uh, most of our cast goes off over to see the Genesis Cave, and we have this really lovely, yeah. gentle moment oh, between man. Kirk and Carol, where first he's talking about this guy who's trying to kill me who he hasn't seen in 15 years. Yeah. You show me and, a son who wants to help? Yeah. and just, My son. We don't... My son. My yeah. life it could have been, but it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. You ask me what I'm feeling? Old. Old. Worn out. Kirk is saying those words. Yes. Yeah. Because he's exhaled. When he says, Khan, once again... This is, we've never seen Kirk do this in any of the films, he, or any of the TV series. He's never gone that far. Right. Where he, and we think, my God, is he really on his last leg? Is this it? But in the whole, he's got this other thing. He's, he's, still, been, he's still, still Kirk. Kirk. He's right. still Kirk. He's but still he, Kirk. Then he has, but that tender moment, you're right, Steve. It's such a beautiful it's scene a between really them. really gentle, right. loving, yeah. sweet kind of moment. Mm-hmm. We move into the Genesis cave, and finally we're going to get the answer that we've been waiting for. What did Kirk do at the Kobayashi Maru? Yeah. He cheated. He cheated. He cheated. He reprogrammed the simulation so it's possible to save the ship. By yeah. the way, I love that he's eating the apple. Yep. And I love that when the, in the Genesis two, cave, or in the Genesis cave, when the 2009 reboot of Star Trek comes out, when the Kobayashi Maru scene is happening, Chris Pine is eating an apple, which is oh, an illusion. Oh, that was great! Right, it's an illusion to Star I Trek too. Thought about yeah, that? It's Good totally job. that illusion. I, I love that, you know, he's sitting like you know, Chris yeah. Pine goes, Bing, you know. <laughs> it's so but, great. but the, the great thing about yeah. that is like all this point, you know, when Kirk is in the 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 uh, the, the manufactured portion of the cage talking to Carol Martin, right. You know, you think they're defeated, they're going to be stranded. Where's the, where the hell is the Enterprise? Right. All this time, Kirk has been yes. pulling the strings. Yep, yep. Which goes back to Khan, is that that yell to me is always like, is it completely sincere? Yeah. Because he needs, he's continually trying to manipulate Khan. Right. You know, he needs Khan to believe that he's trapped in this cave. I think it's sincere because Khan keeps killing people. Khan sure. keeps at, at so I think the anger is Kirk's frustration at the situation that it has to keep continuing. That he because he does get the better of him, but he doesn't win yet, right. right? So there's an anger and frustration in that, and then that leads into the to the because his defenses are all his guard is all down, which is why he can have that conversation with Carol. And Marcus when they're talking about talk the Kobayashi Maru yeah. and he's talking about how he cheated, changed the conditions yeah. of the test. I don't believe in a no-win situation. <laughs> Kirk Spock, right. it's two hours. Are you ready? Right on schedule, Admiral. And then the James Horner score kicks in. Yeah. It becomes like this rousing thing. And he gets up, takes a bite of the apple. I don't like to lose. <laughs> it's great. This the, is, it's so it's awesome. So great. And we get to hear the, this. Go ahead. The McCoy smile. That's what the sells same that thing. moment. It yeah. sells that moment. Yeah, he's just like you, old dog. You, yeah. you, you son know, of a bitch. He's been through so many things. Chris always gotten him out of it. Yeah, yep. yep. He's, he's like, like even anymore. after all these years, yeah. man. He's looking. I'm like, man, that guy still got it. <laughs> he still <laughs> got so it. Great. And then we have get to have the great plant and payoff of it was planted that you keep spouting those regulations uh, to Savak, yeah. and now we find out that this was a coded message yeah. as per. Regulations. Hours instead hours of days. Instead of days. Yep. Now we have minutes instead of hours. But when they beam up to the Enterprise and the score is going on and there's it, 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 it's like this rousing moment where they're, they're in better control than, than you think they were yeah. up at this point. Even though the chips are still down, the Enterprise is still a disabled starship and the uh, Reliant can still outrun us and outgun us. That 
that they're they're running, they're they're, they're going up to the bridge, and then they they see the the the, the tactical yeah. of the Reliant is actually in much better shape than the Enterprise. Yeah. There is one chance the Mutara Nebula, uh, the uh, visual function and shields will be useless. And what does Spock say? Uh, Goose. Sauce, sauce for, the for the goose. Sauce for the goods, Mr. Savick. Yeah. Oh, the odds will be even. Will be even. So yeah. then the Enterprise, and, I, and I've talked about this earlier in the show, yeah. when the Enterprise is making its way toward regular, the Nebula, battle stations, the ship is getting ready. And you see all the decks, the people running around, the running right. back and forth mm-hmm. throughout the corridors. Yeah. They're in the torpedo room. They're in engineering. It's something we know why the Enterprise had to have a crew of 400 people. Because yeah. in the series, there was like 12 guys. You know? <laughs> but now we see, oh, you got to move stuff around. you got to do yeah. stuff to get a photon torpedo. But then by the time uh, you know, the, the Reliant is catching up on them and they fire and they miss and you know, they're backing off, it's important to point out, gentlemen – that at no point during the making of this movie were William Shatner and Ricardo Montalban in the same room, in the same room yep. at the same place at the same time. Yeah. The only time they saw each other was on a view screen, and then for the rest of the time, they just kind of heard each other. Yep. And at this moment, at this moment in Wrath of Khan, when the Enterprise, when the Reliant is backing off, and Kirk is like, "Oh, really? Hey, Khan, we tried it once your way, you know." I'm laughing for, at your superior yeah. intellect. Are you game for another? Yeah. yeah well, and again, for a rematch. Because Kirk is a poker player. Right. Kirk is about playing the odds, but mostly he's about Not playing chess, the Spock. man. Poker. poker. Yeah. Is that you play the man, and he knows, oh, you, I, Khan doesn't want to do this. I'm going to get him to do it yeah. by playing the man. He understands how to play Khan and he's does. Manipulating him. Mm-hmm. He's manipulating him. Which frustrates Khan to no end. But then, then, okay, so then the, the ride definitely speeds up just in time for the Enterprise to enter the Mutar Nebula and then for the Reliant to be close by, close behind it. And at this point on, the whole, the, the chase mm-hmm. through the Matara Nebula becomes run, run silent, run deep in yeah, space. Absolutely. That's great. Absolutely. Submarine great warfare. Mm-hmm. They are on equal footing. Yes. And the, 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 for, again, $11 million budgeted movie and seeing the Enterprise and the Reliant sort of like fly blind. Yeah. And, you know, occasionally they'll see a glimpse of the other ship on the view screen. And, uh, you know, I love that shot where the Enterprise and the Reliant are flying towards each other. And you, you can't see anything. There's right. a split second where you see the Reliant. Kirk goes, evasive starboard. The Reliant fires and it hits the, the side of the torpedo yeah. uh, base of the Enterprise. And then the Enterprise fires. I mean, it's so great. <laughs> well, and in this sequence, by the way, the score is killing it. Yeah. The score, James Horner's score is so good. And the, the, the theme, the leitmotif he creates for the Reliant is so scary yeah. and powerful. And it's really telling the story. And this is where it's funny. So after Into Darkness came out, we're not going to talk a lot about it. Because this is about Rathacon. <laughs> but I think that night I went home and watched Rathacon. Yeah, of course. And the epiphany I had was that Wrath of Khan is not an action film. Into Darkness is an action film. Mm-hmm. There's very little action in Wrath of Khan. You have um, a couple of, you know, you have the battle sequence in the middle, and then you have this battle sequence at the end. And other than that, barely nobody throws a punch. Mm-hmm. There's Good no point. action. And th- this yeah. sequence at the end is very slow yeah. because it's run silent, run deep. Is that, and, and the thing is, and this is, 
you know, something obvious that people don't tend to think about is that a film is a zero-sum game in terms of time. Mm -hmm. You only have this much time. You have a two-hour movie. You have two hours to get your business done. If you have an hour and 20 minutes of action sequences, you only have 40 minutes to get all the character and story and other Mm -hmm. stuff done. And so in a film like Into Darkness or most of the modern science fiction films, you have so much action that you cannot do the heavy lifting that we do in Wrath of Khan. It cannot happen. There is not enough time. This movie spends so much time developing characters and ideas and advancing story, Mm -hmm. and that's why it's working. And so when we come into this sequence at the end, it is slow, it mm -hmm. is very tense, and and you feel the emotional power of what you're heading towards. And I would argue that the film hurdles its way to that moment. It earns the pause. Absolutely. One of the things they tell you in theater is if you're going to pause on stage, earn the pause. And the way you earn the pause is by taking the audience on the journey to that moment. And I think the the film itself is constantly speeding to that moment, which is why we're okay to take a break and have a slower than usual action scene that's still fraught with tension and fear and worry. And and the pause literally comes when the bridge of the Reliant is disabled. Yeah. Uh, Most of the crew, I think uh, everyone on the bridge of the Reliant is dead except for Khan. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when Khan, in a last desperate attempt... No, Kirk. The game's not over. And he starts activating the Genesis device. There is no score... There is no score. Yes. All you hear are the sound effects a, of the yeah, Genesis, Genesis device being yeah. activated. Right. And Kurt, uh, Khan is is quoting Ahab's last words. Right. He's looking at the view screen and, and taking up the entire screen is the whale, yeah. the Enterprise. Right. And then on the Enterprise, score kicks in again. There's uh, something going on. It's the Genesis wave. They're on a build-up to detonation. How soon? Encoded four minutes. We'll beam aboard and stop it. You can't. Scotty, I need warp speed in three minutes or we're all dead. (laughs) Come on! You get a look from Spock. He turns his head. And it is so... Sets it up so well. Mm -hmm. Just that look. Okay, and and that look. Okay, remember the beginning of the movie where you thought, (laughs) Yeah, you're not going to kill Scotty. You go, oh, oh shit! shit. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> as you soon go, as he looks down oh, and he's pondering what to do next, you're like, oh, oh no. no, oh no, 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 don't do it, <laughs> don't do it. But one and thing, yeah. the the the, the uh, Genesis device is going off, and yeah. you know the Enterprise is creeping slowly away from the Reliant. It's not going to make it. Right. And uh, another beautifully shot and edited scene is on the bridge of the Enterprise as they're trying to get away. Uh, you know, Kirk is in the captain's chair and he just... Arms the camera folded. Zooms yeah, in. Yeah. Arms folded. Yeah. And and he the camera zooms in very slowly on Kirk and he goes, time. 30 seconds. 30 seconds or whatever. Yeah. Then uh, back to Kirk, zooming in very slow. Yeah. Distance from Reliant. Zooming in cl- slowly on Chekhov, 4,000 kilometers. Yeah. Zooming back in slowly on Sulu. We're not going to make it, That's are we? Line. That's the line, We're not going to make well, it, And we? it's yep. Kirk's... Then Kirk looks to David. And it, David and shakes the, his and head. David shakes his head. Yeah. Now, this is this is territory we've been in a lot on on Star Trek. You know, we got 10 seconds. Yeah. We're all going to die. Yeah. And we, you know, we did it. We do it in the Corbinite Maneuver. We've done it in yeah. a lot of episodes. This is the best one. Meanwhile, down in engineering. Yeah. Are you out of your fault mind?
No human can tolerate the radiation that's in there. As you are so fond of observing, Doctor, I am not human. You're not going in there. Perhaps you're right. What is Mr. Scott's condition? Well, I don't think that he... <laughs> oh! Vulcan <laughs> net pitch! I'm sorry, I don't have time to discuss this logically. Yeah. Remember. Remember. That, that... That is so brilliant, the remember. remember. Because the remember, remember means if what? people come watch this movie, we'll be able to do a third one. Let's lay the groundwork it's for the so third smart. one. Let's do it's something a... that, that gives us a, a get-out-of-jail-free right. card. And how, how Star Trekian, and in, in this way, of the swerve, which is who would he give the mind mail to? It's not Kirk, his buddy. It's McCoy. Well, that's because McCoy's there. Yeah, it's because, all about but, irony. But, but he's perfect. Yeah. Irony, right, exactly. Yeah. Well, because, and, and this is, you know, obviously getting ahead of he ourselves. Could have given it to the job of the filmmaker McCoy. is to create conflict. Yes. You know, where is the conflict? Yes. It's got to be with McCoy. Yeah. So Spock goes into this radiation chamber. <sighs> Scotty, who's been out of it, leaps to his feet somehow. Get out of Get there. Get out of there. No. And it is, and I remember, <laughs> no. I, can, I can remember the feeling as a kid. Oh, yeah. Because the, the sense of doom when he yeah. goes in there and the way the light's shooting out of that yeah. all this stuff in his like, face yeah. in his face and I went oh shit they're oh, this really is happening gonna, they're, they're doing really gonna it. Do it they're gonna mm-hmm. do it yeah and but we, then, then that moment sir sir the mains are back online bless you Scotty go Sulu and another well shot well edited scene the Enterprise warps out of there right. the music just sort of like swells a little bit mm-hmm. and the Reliant blows up yeah. the shockwave of the Reliant Beautiful. blowing up while the Genesis device has been activated. Yeah. The shockwave goes further and further yep. out into space. Literally, the Enterprise is just one millisecond yeah. ahead yeah. of that shockwave as it speeds away. Scotty, go through. It's so it's beautifully great. done. Yeah. Beautifully done. Yeah. And then we're all happy because everything's going to be good. And Kirk calls down to uh, Scotty. Well and done. Engineer says, "Hey, well done, Scotty." And I love that it's Bones's voice. Yeah. Jim, you better get down here. Better hurry. Better hurry. Better hurry. And the, he looks at the chair. And he looks at the chair. The shock reaction. Yeah. Of realizing that it could be Spock, like the jolt He's that it per- does. He, to. he knows. And he knows. He knows. Why? Because they are connected on a different level, which you are when you have an intimate connection with someone, male or female, irrelevant, when you sense it. And he senses it. In he that senses moment. it. When you have yeah. that connection that, yep. that you can only have with maybe very, very few people yep. in a lifetime. Yep. And the desperation when he gets down oh, and God. he sees Spock in the radiation chamber. I- no! You'll flood the whole compartment to die. He's dead already. Originally, McCoy was going to say that line. And and uh, oh. Nick Meyer wanted him to say, he's dead, Jim. Right. But because, uh, DeForest Kelly said, I know why you want me to say that. But in this moment, yeah. I cannot say that. Yep. People yep, that's right. will laugh. Yeah. It is a trademark. It is a slogan. It's right. been yes. imitated. Right. It Good has point. been spoofed. If you you will take people out of the film, if you have me say he's dead, Jim. That's so cool. Scotty said he's, he's dead already. He's dead. It is so much more powerful. Mm-hmm. And I gotta say, just thinking about the scene, I get teary eyed. Of course. And and I don't know what the best death scene in a movie is of all time, but for me, 
this is right up there. Uh, oh, yeah. I agree. Completely. This is so yeah. beautifully done. And Shatner's performance and Nimoy's performance, the talking through that wall, even the first, he goes up and calls to him before, and the, the, the microphone's not on. So powerful. Yeah. And I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, you see him say Spock, you, you don't hear it. You yeah. don't hear it. Then he turns the thing. He goes, oh, I have to turn the thing on. Says Spock, watching Nimoy get to his feet, and in particular, right. Straightening the shirt. Straightening, Straightening the shirt. The shirt. Yep. That's Spock. That's very Spock. Right? Yep. yep. Like even in that, he's still composed. Yes. He tries to be. He's a gentleman. And 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 the the call back to that scene in the quarters. Don't grieve him, Admiral. It's logical. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one. I never took the Kobayashi Maru test. Until now. What do you think of my solution? Spock. I have been, and always shall be, your friend. Well, th- this is this is the thing is b- good writing has resonances throughout. Mm-hmm. Like I said at the beginning, you don't just use those glasses for one thing. Use them for many things. You don't just use the needs mm-hmm. of the many for one thing. You use it for yeah. many things. You use, you know, I have, I shall be, an, I, I have been, been and always, always shall be, be your friend. Yeah. These are things that come back. The Kobayashi mm-hmm. Maru. All of the themes that we've constructed throughout right. this film are coming to this moment. Cheating death. Right. You know, all of this is coming right here. It's so powerful. But once again, it is his intimate connection with Kirk. Even in that moment, he knows he has to take care of Kirk, which is why he tries to make it to make a, inject just a small amount of levity by saying, I never took the Kobayashi Maru test. What do you think of my solution? It's like Spock. Come it, on. Yeah, it's right, right. And <laughs> yeah. then Kirk's like, no, why, why are you asking me this? But it's Spock's way of taking care of him because he knows he's going to be sad that he's going to die. And, and this, that, that scene as it pulls away yeah. where oh. they're both leaning the against n- each other. Wait, wait, mirroring. Scott, Scott, wait, the no, the no is everything. Shatner's no yeah. when Spock dies to me is the one that breaks me in half and makes me cry every time because it is he has been saying I don't believe in the no-win situation I don't like to lose and for the first time ever he really he lost really loses right right yeah. and, and and then but you know for me it's the scene in the torpedo tube when he's giving his yes. eulogy right. and it says and he you know, says of all the souls I've encountered yeah. in my travels his was the most and then he's trying to hold back the tears and yeah. he just Schumann. Yeah. It's like it reminded me of the scene at the edge of City on the Edge of Forever mm. when they're about to be back aboard the Enterprise and Kirk had to let Edith Kiel die. Yes. And and he can barely say, Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. Um, it's where Shatner's acting is really good. So uh we have this funeral yeah. and then we have this scene where Kirk and David yeah. talk. It's a beautiful scene. Mm-hmm beautifully played and you can see again the reluctance and you're asking yourself oh does david know because originally david didn't know right that this is his dad and he, and he's the one who gives kirk the strength to go forward yeah well that, i love that scene too like you know kirk he's you know he's trying to read the book 
the glasses are broken, another yeah. allegory and metaphor. And then Kirk, you know, David comes in and, he, and, and, you know, Kirk is trying to be composed. He's a mess. And the, the, the way his voice shakes, the way he goes, I, I poured myself a drink. Would you like it? He's trying not to connect. I poured myself a drink. Would you like it? Lieutenant Savick was right. You never have faced death. No, not like this. I haven't faced death. I've cheated death. And patted myself on the back for my ingenuity. But just, you know, going from back to back from the Spock death to the eulogy to I'm proud. Yeah. Very proud to be your son. And that, that hug, like Kirk hugs David, like he, he's never really hugged someone no, like I, that before. Right. Like yeah. he's, he's, and you get to, the, and then you're, now you're back on the bridge of the Enterprise. They're going away from, from regular, from the, yeah, from the and uh, from the Genesis planet. And they're all rejuvenated. And uh, Kirk goes, if Genesis is indeed life from death, I must return to this place. Hmm. And that great, you know, interesting. Uh, you know, very interesting. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Jim, how do you feel? Yes. Young. Young. I feel young. As when the world was new. And it's such a powerful moment because it is the completion of the circle that we started with, which is Kirk's midlife crisis. It has been solved by the time the end of the film. He has embraced what he is supposed to do with his life. He has lost a friend in the process, but his friend's loss has taught him something about his life. And, and even, even with the, the death of a, an iconic character yeah. like Spock, that moment on the bridge followed by the, the, the birth of this new planet, yeah. seeing all the life you know, and seeing the torpedo tube that it that yes. made it intact, uh, leaving hope for Star Trek Three, <laughs> um, and then hearing, like above a whisper, space, the final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the starship Enterprise. Her ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds to seek out new life forms and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. And it's Nimoy, not Shatner, who says it. And then the, the score at the end. Now, now uh, uh, it took many years for me to break down Star Trek's two and three in this simple manner. In Star Trek two. Spock died saving the Enterprise. In Star Trek Three, yep. the Enterprise returned the favor. Yes, that's a great point. That is absolutely just in the simplest terms. Yeah. Now, I, I I never really dug that in the beginning of Star Trek Three, which is supposed to pick up right where, where Star Trek Two left off. Yeah. You know, everybody's kind of depressed, but Kirk is depressed. I mean, what yeah. happened to the rejuvenation that he right. had at the end of Wrath of Khan? But that's that's for another set of files. Sure, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> If That's for get, another cinephile. Three. Another three-hour-long cinephile. <laughs> so, so that well, that just we we've made it to the end of an epic, uh, but I epic. think deserved epic cinephiles. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to ask, so uh, Scott, what are your final thoughts on Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan? Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. It is a movie I've seen more than a hundred times. I could watch it number one hundred one right now. I could act it out with you right now, Absolutely. and I would still get just as much joy and pleasure out of seeing it for the first time, the fiftieth, the seventy-fifth. It, it holds up everything about it. The themes are classic. The characters are fully realized. The dialogue, the direction, the editing, the score, the cinematography 
all of it, everyone, everyone in this film is at the top of their game. And budget aside, yeah, so it was the lowest, uh, the least expensive Star Trek movie of them all. Oh, wow. But it is still the best out of 13 films. Yep. Agreed. How about you? For me, I have to say, uh, I echo everything Scott says. Uh, it is m- one of my favorite films. Uh, aside from quality or whatever, top five favorite films for me to eminently rewatch over and over and over again. I will flip channels, and if I catch it, I'm done for an hour and a half I'm or an you. hour. It's, it's just, it's impossible. It is cracked to me because of the fact that this film, you can watch it at any age of your life and there is something that resonates for you. When I was a kid, I watched it because it reminded me of my father. As I got in my 20s, it reminded me that this old age is coming. Now that I'm in my 40s, I feel a resonance with Kirk that I never felt before, which is why the film uh, breaks me down and makes me emotional in ways that it never did before because I understand this struggle, this pain, this idea of like, where am I now? What do I do next now? Kirk, because what I'd relied on. Kirk is so in his long. early 50s yeah. in, in Wrath of Khan. Yeah. I'm 48. Yeah. yeah. And there you go. And so there's a connecting thing to it. But the what Scott says is great. Everyone is fantastic as an act. The writing, the story, the pacing. But there's a love for the franchise yeah. that comes through in this film that connects with every Star Trek lover that they did it right and they did it with love and reverence and they pushed the boundaries and they fully realized this Gene Roddenberry concept of what Star Trek could be. And I think this film really captures that. No question about it. Now for, for me, I think about that little kid that I was that loved Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And what's so great about Ratha Khan is that not every Star Trek episode is great. Some of them are kind of bad. Yeah. But, I agree. <laughs> but... but but what but Wrath of Khan captures that essence that I loved as a kid and elevates it into something that I can love as an adult. Yeah. It elevates it the themes in it deepen, the characters deepen, the ideas deepen. Yeah. Like all of the 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 power of what I love about Star Trek is right there. Yeah. And I'll tell you something. I don't know exactly the process of how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to introduce my kid eventually to Wrath of Khan. Absolutely. I don't know quite what I'm going to show him first, and and I hope that he can see in it what I see Mm -hmm. see in it, uh, which is a story about family and ideals and struggles and growing old and relationships and sacrifice and doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the true beauty of the film is that you don't even have to have seen the original Space Seed episode no. to enjoy the no, film. No, you really don't. You don't. And you know, Marla McIvers, her name is never mentioned. Yes. No. Very interesting. Yes, she's alluded to, but never mentioned. Right. Yeah. All right, so that's what we think of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. <laughs> we would love to hear what you think. You can always visit us on Facebook at The Cinephiles. That's C-I-N-E dash F-I-L-E-S. If you want to subscribe to us on Stitcher, put in Cinephiles, but no dash. Cine files two words they don't like dashes if you want to subscribe to us on itunes you absolutely should and while you're on itunes you should review us because we really need those reviews and we always want to hear from you if you want to reach me you can reach me at sr morris john where can you reach you you guys can always reach me at the roca says r-o-c-h-a on twitter and instagram and follow me i love interacting with you guys and especially if you love rathacon as much as the three of us do let's have a conversation on any social media and scott can they reach you anywhere yes absolutely you can follow me on twitter at movie 
Mance. Now it's M A N T Z. So on Twitter and on Instagram at Movie Mance. Like you, John, I love interacting with people, especially about movies and especially about Star Trek. So bring it on. And do you have anything well, to plug? Do you have anything to plug coming oh, up? Oh, and, and you can uh, catch my reviews on Access Hollywood and AccessHollywood.com. At your local gas station. Well, we certainly love interacting with you about Star Trek on the Cinephiles. We really appreciate you coming Thank on. Thank you so much. Guys, awesome. this was the best. The truce was worth it. The truce was worth it. But, <laughs> but you know what? Down. You are going, going down. Gentlemen. Are going gentlemen. Down. Gentlemen. Okay, just forget it. Just, I don't just care where it is. It. All right. All right. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time on the Cinephiles. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc